0: Good morning, everybody. So uh So, it is amazing the exegetical sermon that uh, Reinsu did. Where's Reinsu? Reinsu's around here somewhere. He's probably outside with the babies. Uh, the exegetical sermon that Reinsu did a couple of weeks ago, on, uh, two weeks ago on, on uh, ex, uh, Exodus, Philippians 4 it was. And then last week as well, Carl encouraging us about the, about the word, the objective word, the subjective word, you remember? I, uh, he gave me the cliff notes, I couldn't make it, I was with family, but uh, um, so he, in asking me to preach the Sunday, he said, can you do, maybe try an Old Testament chapter, you know, that is about the Bible, can you do, maybe do an expository sermon on that? So I said, okay, you know what? There's this one psalm that's entirely devoted to, to the written revelation uh, of God. It's a psalm. Uh, and maybe I can do an exposition of that. And Carl says, go for it. So I spent this week uh, preparing for us uh, an expository sermon on Psalm 119, which I will do for the next three or four hours. <laughs> now who <laughs> says no. Okay, let's, I'll, I'll try and readjust um, no, but this morning, I, Carl did ask me to look at the written word, and I'm going to be looking at, if you are into titles, my sermon today will be called The Place of the Written Word. And I'm going to be looking at two things, uh, what it is the place in our lives, and also the place it holds in the Bible. And we're going to be looking a bit of, of, of some verses where we see the, the word of God um, happening. But for... Just to start with, I just want to think about it a bit in our context, in our modern world. Um, So today, there's a big thing uh, about spirituality and religion. You see, here people say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, right? That's a big thing out there. It's almost hip to be spiritual now. Um, uh, But also there's a bigger problem in that the world has been to materialism and found it quite empty. So even now you get Hollywood stars, you know, turning to the Eastern religions because it's very spiritual. It's like, you know, uh, almost like it, it does things inside of you. It feels you, makes you a bit of calmness. Materialism leaves us empty. As humans, God did not create us for materialism, and it leads us, leaves us empty. So these people have been there. They've been empty, and they turn somewhere else. Christianity doesn't work. The Christianity they know does not work like that, so they turn somewhere and even you get big business executives that will be, you know, very devoted Buddhists, uh, but just really taking people down in the boardroom, you know, uh, because they need that something. Humans long for that, so they go and they find it somewhere. But they say not religion, not structure, not organized. Even you get Christians who are into, um, who, who are, are into uh, you know, the, the, the Jesus and so on, and maybe reading Bible themselves. But they, they're not into the church. They're not into the structure. They're not into the plan, the, uh, you know, the, the group and the control and the be like this and whatever. They just want to be you know, by themselves with Jesus, um, which also is not biblical. That, that's not biblical. Jesus said, here is the church. I'm building my church. What are you doing? Are you doing something? Then you're building the church because that's what Jesus is busy with. And if you're going to work with Jesus, building the church is what is going on. But then there's the other thing as well. A phenomenon today called cultural Christianity, right? Uh, in the West um, and especially in South Africa, we have a a, a a Christian heritage, right? The world used to be quite Christian. It wasn't all very saved. It wasn't all very godly, but it was all very Christian. So there's a lot, uh, you know. And our world is increasingly secularizing. People are turning away from Christianity, away from religion. But still, there's a heritage of that, and the problem with cultural Christianity is you get a lot of people who think they're Christians. They know they they believe in Jesus, they believe in the Bible, they, you know these sort of things. But they're also very, um, yeah, you know, they're very um, just very tuck shop buddy, you know, kind of idea with Jesus. Something that happened recently: we were visiting some family. I'll give you an example of something in our lives. Um, we were visiting some family, so we're all sitting together, having a meal, nice filled pancakes. Uh, and this one guy in the group, we were sort of people together, he's at the phone playing some tunes. And the next moment, this guy is an outspoken atheist. So he's not interested in God. So he's um, playing the tunes. And the next moment, he plays this Razor Hallelujah you know, in the presence of my enemies. This, this guy, I grew up with this guy, who doesn't believe in God. And he's playing this tune and Karin and I look, this is my beautiful wife, Karin, for those of you who don't know. And I, and I look over to her and we're both like, what's going on here? And uh, this, this person, this guy's wife says, yeah, I like your reaction. That was my exact reaction. Uh, when I first heard him playing these songs. And so going on from there, he played another couple of Christian songs, very rah-rah victory in Jesus songs. Um, And and the conversation went on, and she feels so happy. Now, I'll stop here, stop myself to say, let's not discount when God is active in our family. And sometimes he's busy, and you know how God is like, sometimes if you give him a pinky, he's going to grab the hand. I'm just saying, let's not count the chickens when our family is with God like... He's eh, eh, eh. like, no, no, no. Give the hand, come into the family, commit, lay down your life, suffer and die, all of that. <laughs> not, not just playing. Let's not count yet when our family is still playing with God. And, and so it actually, as it turns out, this person, this member of the family is going through a very difficult time at the moment. The most difficult... I've seen them face, uh, and I realize that for them, raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies, my weapon is a melody, all that, that, is, that that's a bit of comfort in there, but God is not a comfort blankie, uh, God is not a tuck shop buddy, you can't just... You know, with whatever, he's a, he's a master, he's a lord. His word is not just there for, uh, to have a treasure trove of inspiring verses. It is a book that is meant to lord over our lives. That's why, what it's there for. So I'll just, before I go through the word, I just wanted to stop there to say this is a thing in our world and, and we should keep that in mind what we're really looking for, uh, as opposed to cultural Christianity, <clears throat> is evangelical Christianity. Now that's a word that might confuse many. Some people thinking just, I don't understand that. Other people will be thinking I'm uh, promoting support for Donald Trump. Other people will think I'm into capitalism. Very misconfused. confused. This, this word has been politicized a lot in our modern world. but. What it really means and where it really comes from is evangelical Christians are those who believe in the, the evangel, the, the gospel that has changed our society, changed our lives. That there's a certain way they believe in the gospel, they believe in the new birth, they believe in the transformation, they believe in the need to be transformed into the image of God. It's what we live, really. You're like evangelical Christians, if you didn't know, uh, probably if you're a member of this church, then uh, so that's what we're looking for, and that's what we're trying to get our family to, right? If we can get them there, then that's really going to be a, a good place. But I wanna, I wanna, am gonna read some scriptures today um, for us, uh, and, and looking at the place, some places where we, where the written word of God features. Now, when I'm reading this, I want you, and I encourage you, for your own enrichment. Whenever you read the Old Testament, or even the New Testament, but especially the Old Testament, try and read it sympathetically, okay? Read the Old Testament the way you listen to a testimony, all right? And what I mean by that is, when someone comes up here on a Sunday morning and tells you about their mother, maybe a long, difficult journey, and cancer and everything, and their mother being healed, right? What difference does that really make to your life? When I get to my desk on a Monday morning, my work is not going to be easier because of that cancer being healed. My pocket is not going to be fuller. (laughs) I'm not going to find it easier to lay down my life for my wife. What difference does it make, right? No, it fills me with awe of God. So when you're reading about the Old Testament, when you're reading God interacting with humans, Humans, uh, other humans wrestling with being faithful to God and finding it really difficult. Read it sympathetically, reading it like a testimony, thinking these are actual people. This is not bone-dry and boring history. This is really, God is interacting with humans here. So keep that in mind as I read today and whenever you read the Old Testament. So I'm going to read some verses. Um, the first place we find written revelation. Okay, we heard... Today already about the Red Sea, okay. And a couple of days later, they arrive at Mount Sinai, and God comes down on the mountain to meet with Israel. It's all like thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening indeed. For those of you who catch that reference, um, and and but God is speaking to them, uh, or they they're seeing the very it's very frightening. And Moses goes up, gets a bunch of. Uh, Sort of commands the way they need to live. Okay, Moses goes up to hear that. Yeah, then he has to come down and tell the people, "This is the deal." Now they're coming out of Israel. They're they're sort of, you know, the children of Abraham, but they don't really know Yahweh. They they don't. They're just coming out of uh, Egypt, slaves, and they have to be God's people now. But they don't don't really know Him. So Moses goes up, fetches these words, comes back, say, "This is what the Lord says. This is the deal." Okay, this is the deal. And they have to now say, yes, we're going to take it or not. So he comes down, Exodus 34, oh, 24 verse, ranging from 3 to 8 for those taking notes. I'm not going to read all of them, but 3 to 8 more or less. I'll just read verse 3 there. It says, when, me, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord, uh, sorry, all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord has said. That's the first reference to written revelation. Writing it down for the record. It is the deal. It is how Israelites are going to be different. Represent God shining like lights in the midst of a perverse generation. And then in verse 8 we are told, Then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, Goodness, can you believe that? Like, nothing about a queasy stomach in ancient Israel. Like, line up for a bit of blood, please. Um, Took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, just listen to these words. This is the blood of the covenant. Where else do you hear very similar words? Right? Right? when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. This is the gospel for the Israelites. God has come down. He has told you, this is what I expect of you. This is how you're going to be my people. When the Lord said, uh, Jesus said, this is the new covenant, the covenant in my blood, when he did the Lord's Supper, and he said, this is the thing. This is the deal for them now. This is what God is doing now. So, But I'll go on from there. Uh, For the Jews always... For the the ancient Israelites, it was important that uh, the public reading of scripture, you read about it in the New Testament as well, it was a very big thing. And what happened was because they knew that they needed to be be reminded of uh, uh, what the Lord has said and what the Lord expected of them, he instituted a a thing. uh, um, There were three festivals in a year that all the Jewish grown men had to go to. Okay. You go to appear before the Lord. You bring a sacrifice. You remember what's going on. But once every seven years, you bring everybody. Uh, and then the law is also read out. So I'll read here from Deuteronomy 31, verse 9. It said, so Moses wrote down this law. This is a part of Deuteronomy now he wrote down. And gave it to the Le- Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel, moving on to verse 12, and now he's saying now, in the seven years, come together, and you're going to read this word to everybody. Everybody should hear the whole thing read out. And he said, assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all this law. It was a big thing that had to come to hear the revelation in order to know to fear God. This is how, and then, of course, there's a lot of debate about what actually element of fear is involved in fearing the Lord. But either way, it had to do with worshiping God and living for him. That's what it was about. But as it turned out, if you read Judges, Samuel, right on there, all those books, it, it never really happened. The people were not very faithful to God. They didn't really keep the law. And so what happened actually is, for those of you who know a bit of history of Israel, They were unfaithful to God, and in the end, there was an exile, okay? The people were not faithful to God, and um, then they were taken into Babylon because they uh, they kept worshipping other gods. So one thing that happened just before that, it was such a disregard for the word of God that at one point, uh, they were, in in King King Josiah's time, they were clearing out, they were renovating the temple, okay, Uh, 2 Kings 22, they were renovating the temple, and the priest, they, they found this, this thing there, and they are reading it. And it was the law. They discovered the law. Um, and so what happened is that, so I'm just going to read here 2 Kings, just some verses from 2 Kings uh, chapter 22, verse 10. Right, yeah, then Shaphan, uh, the secretary, found this book, uh, and he, sorry, I'll, I'll just tell you, but he, he went to Kiyah, took, the, took the, uh, the book to uh, to the king, and, and from where verse 11 says, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. And then he, he prays a prayer of repentance, sends, them, uh, sends a word to a prophetess and said, please, you know, pray for us, what's going on? What's going to happen? Um, and then verse 16, the word comes back. She says, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place, and its people according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. In Deuteronomy, there's specific warnings saying, if you're going to be faithful to me, this is what's going to happen. If you're going to be unfaithful to me, this is what's going to happen, Involve, including being taken to another strange land uh, where you will not know the language and all these things. Then verse 19, because your heart dies, now, also saying to Josiah, who did respond in repentance and said, please, God, be merciful. He said, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place, skipping on a bit, and because you tore your robes in my presence, I also heard you, declares the Lord. And the Lord uh, said that he will uh, be merciful to, um, to Josiah, um, and it didn't happen in Josiah's time, but it happened shortly after that. Uh, but but Josiah never did, nevertheless did have uh, do reforms, and he led people in uh, in, in re- reaffirming the covenant, which you see in early in the next chapter. Just uh, another place to, to stop quick in the Old Testament. Uh, so they did go into exile. The Lord said it's going to happen. It was too late by the time of Josiah. He said it's too late now that these people have all this idols and, and worshipping other gods and stuff. It's too late now. They're going to go into exile. So they did go into exile, but the 70 years, just like um, Jeremiah prophesied, they went. But what happened there, because these people grew up in Babylon, they didn't know Hebrew anymore, right? And then they did come back. There was the three uh, sort of fly, you know, the the, the three groups under uh, you know, that came back and in Ezra, we read, they get there. It's amazing actually, Ezra, I encourage you to read the book. They get there to Jerusalem. The first thing they did, they build a temple, they build an altar and they worship, or they offer to God. That's the first thing before you start building. Then they build a temple. Then uh, um, Nehemiah comes, they build the city walls, and at the end of Nehemiah, it's this victorious thing where there was this threats from the people around them, but they ended up building, they managed to build a temple, and they, uh, the, build, the temple's being built up, and there's the celebration that they're having about the, um, you know, and, and they're going to read the law out. And so if you read there, Nehemiah 8, or Nehemiah 8 verse 2. I'm just going to read, read there. So this is a festival being held now, uh, and they're going to read the law out, these people. Now I want you to remember, uh, as I'm reading this, I'll say a bit more after it, the, the people didn't know Hebrew anymore. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which uh, was made up of men, women, and all who were able to understand. Skipping on to verse 5, Ezra opened the book. uh, All the people could see him because he was standing above them. They had built a stage for the day. um, And he opened it, and the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted hands and responded, Amen, Amen. This is a big deal. They're going to hear the word now for the first time, uh, you know, that they've been back there and and building and so on. They bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Going on to verse 8. Now, uh, also, there there were some Levites spread out between them who were interpreting for them as uh, Ezra read out in Hebrew the it, uh, they were sort of interpreting for them, explaining to them what's going on. What, does, what did God actually expect of us? Remember, it's because of not keeping the law, because of not heeding the law, that they ended up in exile and they grew there. It was terrible, living like a foreigner. It was horrible there and they didn't like it. So now they're back and, and they're hearing this, and the Levites is explaining to them. They, uh, they read from the book of the law of God. Perfect. Yes, uh, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read, right? Listen, just check the response now. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people uh, had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Going on to verse 11, the Levites uh, calmed all the people, said, be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away, and it is just a bit above, Nehemiah declares a feast. He says, go home, uh, you know, eat and drink some nice things, and send f- gifts to each other and everything. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of the food uh, to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the word that had been made known to them. I have quite a desire to work in Bible translation. Uh, my Greek and Hebrew is nowhere near good enough. And I'll spare you the details, but the way it works now, nowadays, they've got a new system. Uh, Clara was able to explain to us. She worked in Bible translation for a couple of months at the start of the year. Uh, but the, you only need to know Greek or Hebrew. You don't need, don't need to learn the native language anymore, right? Anyway, um, I have a deep desire, and I've looked into this a bit. You know, they say the first time, because a lot of people read the Bible in sort of a lingua franca, you know, a big language in their town, in their area, whether it's French or Swahili or whatever. I'm talking about people who doesn't have the Bible in their own tongue. There's a lot of languages like that still today, actually. And, and they say that when these people, and Clara can confirm this, uh, when these people um, then have the Bible, hear the Bible for the first time in their, in their own language, it's often quite an emotional experience, either great joy or sometimes even crying, saying, I did not know God can speak my language. And I just think sometimes we forget the privilege we have because you can have like 300 English Bibles and you have like, most people have five opinions about, you know, about every one of them. But we just, we forget the privilege we have of having the Bible in a language we can understand. And it's a great privilege. And these people, they understand finally what's going on. What does God expect of us? How are we going to be his people, how are we going to shine his light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? That is the West. That is Africa. That is Stellenbosch. How are we going to shine? Yeah, that's the, their thing. That's, and for the first time, and they're weeping because they're like, I didn't, I didn't know this. Um, so the one thing was the language, and another thing also... Um, uh, so we got the public reading, and, and going on from there, after the, after the exile and especially after the destruction of the temple, synagogues, we heard about it, gathering last night was a big deal, and the synagogues had two, specifically two purposes. Jews went there a couple of times a week, and you went there to learn from the law, and you went there to pray, and that was a big thing, and, and actually, um, but there was two, also other th- two other, also two other things. The first century, literacy was quite low. People couldn't read. You had a lot of, like, just, uh, you know, an ambachsman What's an in English? Sorry? A tradesman. You had a lot of people. They didn't have business learning to read. They, they could just, you had to know the size of the hammer and you how to hard to hit. That was the thing. Uh, most most people like that and didn't learn, so they went there. And also the other problem was that writing material was so, very expensive, that you just couldn't afford. Like most churches like, would just hope to have a couple of scrolls. Uh, but you could, very rich people would have their own libraries. So that just didn't happen. So that also was part of uh, the sort of communal reading of Scripture. But when you read in, in, in Luke 4, verse uh, 16 and 17, Jesus Uh, So he grew up in Nazareth, right? Jesus grew up in Nazareth. He was in Galilee. It was not near Jerusalem. It was up there where the second-rate Jews lived. Uh, If you know a bit of the history anyway, that's also why some of the people didn't want to accept him. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like what, you know? So anyway, just, but he's up there. And he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up, to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Sorry, this thing is fighting me. Handed to him, uh, and, and then he read from Isaiah 61. And of course, he said, this is now fulfilled in me, and I am the Messiah. And people upset, get upset and, and want to throw him off the hill, and you know, that sort of thing. So, But here we see also, in, in, in the Gospels, there was this thing. People went to the synagogue, someone would read, and, and this is, Christianity was birthed. Remember the early chapters of Jerusalem of, of, of Acts, especially, well, anything before 10, the, the church was absolutely Jewish. It was done in a Jewish way. You went to synagogue, you, you prayed, and, and that was the whole thing. And, and, and Andrew even shared some of that last night, where there was the three things. You would meet in houses, that was more of a church thing, but, and then the synagogue, and you would go to the temple for the big meetings. But I'll just go on to another thing as well. And something I want to get to here is, is just about the, a bit of the life shared with teaching, especially in the New Testament, there's a life. So Acts 2.42, um, we read a very famous verse. I'm just not going to unpack it here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking bread and prayers. Now, the thing is about the, the apostles' Teaching or doctrine, as it's often um, translated, is that word has two elements to it. The one is a way of life, and the other one is sort of content, what you believe. It is content as well as example. So we often say that to each other, and certainly when we get together at the, uh, you know, together uh, sit under apostolic teaching today, right? That is very important and it's very up with this verse. And I think at least, or we could even, I would even go as far to say primarily the apostolic doctrine is caught up in the New Testament, where we have the, the words of the first apostles saying, this is what the church is like, this is what Jesus is like, this is how you're faithful to him, and, and this is how you're supposed to live out. So two elements, but also that, that's the content, and then also the way of life saying this is how you're supposed to live. Like it's, it's, it's doing and it's believing. Uh, and the same way with the apostles as well today when we sit underneath apostolic teaching okay they help us understand the word better they help us to live out the word and it's important to remember those two elements is to the apostles teaching is uh, involved and another place where you see the uh this teaching and the lifestyle together right is is hebrews uh, thirteen verse seven he said uh Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. See, there is again the speaking of the word of God and the way of life. Consider consider their way of life. See what their faith is like. See how solid their faith is. See how they're not shaken by the world. See how they stand faithful to God in midst of where there's like just temptations and how to make money and increase your uh, things and, and and talk bad about your boss and they're faithful to God. Consider them and imitate them. Try and live like them. Um, another place where, uh, where the public reading of Scripture occurs is First Timothy 3, um, four thirteen, and some things I want to look at here. Um, I like this verse, especially because it's so. Uh, I, I find it so applicable to what we going on, what's going on in our uh, church or the way we do things. I'll just read it. Until I come, Paul writing to Timothy now. Okay, until I come to strengthen you, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. That word preaching can also be translated exhortation. Right. So the way I apply this to us, uh, you know, we know that in communities they've been driving a bit more uh, recently to let's read scripture together and let us uh, see how it applies to our life. So the, until I come, right, uh, there's until while we're waiting for Sunday to come, while we're waiting for the next full twelve, while we're waiting for the next gathering, while we're waiting for the next meeting, the big meeting. Okay, we're there. We're at the home cell. We're in the house churches. as Andrew said last night. A small meeting. We're reading scripture together, right? That's what, what we're doing now. Paul, I mean, not, when Paul was writing this, he meant Paul, Timothy standing in the front and doing what I'm doing now, right? But, okay, now there's no Timothy and there's not always the standing in front. So what now? We're going to sit together and read scripture and let it exhort us. Let us exhort each other. And if I can make teaching passive, then let's learn. We learn together what God is like. We learn together how does it apply to our lives. And the meaning of a text doesn't change, but how it applies to your life and the way God is going to use a specific text to challenge you to live your life this week is going to be different to me. But the Holy Spirit will come and make the objective word subjective as Karl uh, at the two words. And help you live out your life for God. So, (laughs) thanks guys. Thanks. (laughs) Um, Let me just take a sip. Something that is often said, and if you haven't heard it said, then um, it's good that I'm telling you now. Because it is important to say that engaging with Scripture is not for information. It is for transformation, right? Absolutely true. But now, what I also want to say, when we do approach scripture, we shouldn't just go there looking for imperatives, okay? How do I live out my life? Just what do I do? Like, give your tithes, you know, share the word, love your mother, you know, not just imperatives. There's also a thing of when we go to Scripture, and this is why I encourage you to read the Old Testament sympathetically because it's just such a, such a treasure trove of, of information on what God is like. What other humans are like. How have they struggled to relate to God? How have they struggled to be faithful to God? And one thing I'll just pop in here, uh, a freebie, is you see in the Old Testament that the reason why people have been, uh, were unfaithful to God is because they God needed to have, do work inside them. In Deuteronomy already, you read about the circumcision of the heart. Uh, Jeremiah talks about the new heart. Ezekiel talks about the new spirit. That was this, again and again, it comes up, there's there's needs, humans need to have the work done inside them. Basically, they need to to be born again, to be faithful to God. And that should fill us with thankfulness, that in the new covenant, we do have the Holy Spirit coming up, make us new, give us a new heart. Um, so that is, is very important, but you appreciate that more when you read in the Old Testament how these people were struggling to be faithful to God. So, but one thing I also wanted to say, so don't just go and look for the imperatives, right? When you're reading Bible, uh, read to learn what God is like. Keep an eye out for that. Um, and so one thing I just will, um, Daniel Block, who writes a lot on Deuteronomy, it uh, reminds us that even in the Old Testament law, God asking something from you is couched in gospel, what He calls gospel. And uh, I'll give you an example of this. You know, the, what's the biggest law collection in the Old Testament? Right, the Ten Commandments. Absolutely. So, Ma- um, Deuteronomy 5 would have us, would have us believe that God declared the Ten Commandments to Israel himself. They heard him, okay? That part. They didn't hear everything. Moses went up and got the details, and he came down and he said, this is the deal, and they said, we'll take the deal. But the Ten Commandments, they heard it himself. They uh, um, heard, heard, it, uh, heard it themselves. So Deuteronomy 5 is 4 to 7, for those taking notes. I'm just going to read here. The Lord spoke to you, uh, this is now Moses speaking, reminding Israel of what happened at, or at Sinai. The Lord spoke to you face to face on the uh, out of the fire on the mountain. And he's talking about them declaring the, the, um, the Ten Commandments part now. And then verse 5 ends, she doesn't have it up there. It ends saying, and he said, this is a quote now, the Lord is, quote, Moses is quoting the Lord here. Yeah. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. God does not start saying, hey you, listen here, this is what I want, okay? He doesn't start like that. He starts saying, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord, the covenant name, and I am your God. And I am the one who brought you out of Egypt. This is me speaking, and then he says, for your good, though I have no other gods before me. And he goes on. So it's just so beautiful that even that, the Ten Commandments, which is such a boo with many Christians, starts with gospel. Um, so what last verse, uh, piece of passage, I'll look at so close to my heart. Um, is Paul uh, in the 2 second, uh, second, uh, Timothy 3. Paul is nearing the end of his letter, his second letter to his apprentice. So he's living in a very godless world, Timothy. And God is, uh, Paul is wanting to help him. How do you avoid all this godlessness? And beyond that, there's also all these false teachers. And it's like, how do you not fall underneath that teaching? From, from When First Timothy opens up, it's all about the false teachers and correct them and put elders in place to get these people uh, to silence these false teachers and, and so on. But he's, he's closing the letter now. He's nearing the end. And in verse 1, he starts off by saying, but mark this, there will be terrible, uh, terrible times in the last days. And if they were living in the last days, then we are definitely living in the last terror days. And you can just look at the darkness around us. Uh, terrible. He goes on to explain, and I don't want to put it up here, but goes on to explain to them the world as it was uh, there. And it sounds like our world, really. Sounds like the West. Sounds like Stellenbosch. Okay? And then in verse 10, he says, to the, he says to Timothy, You, however, know all about my teaching and my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. Again, here. My teaching, my way of life. Again, a way of life and teaching being married together as it should be in a good uh, teacher of the word. Uh, but then he goes on to talk about some false prof- some false teachers. And I, now he's coming again to the, how do you avoid this false teaching? And then from verse 14 is where it really gets interesting. It says, but as for you, Timothy continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it again. These are faithful teachers. And then in verse 15, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Not the scriptures, no. Actually, when he says scriptures there, he's referring to the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't written then, right? So he's saying, this Old Testament, he's not saying they can make the converts wise so they get saved and then whatever. No, he says, these scriptures can make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then actually, if you read in verse 16, a verse that's often sort of known, but uh, the depth of which is not understood, then you understand a bit about how does it work, these making wise for salvation. Verse 16 says... All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Great. Uh, passage well-known. Uh, something, again, uh, emphasis here between the content and the living, something that is often uh, not known, is that these words, the, the word for teaching... Greek word refers very specifically to instilling good beliefs uh, in people, accurate doctrine. That word specifically refers to that. The word for I'm just kidding, correcting, no rebuking, refers to specifically to correcting wrong beliefs that people have. Then the word, um, then correcting, refers to correcting wrong practices. Paul says to Ephesians chapter 4, I ask you to walk worthy of the call to which you have been called. If you don't do that, that's correcting. That's what that word, the Greek word, refers to. And then the word training in righteousness, again, is a, a, a right way of living, a godly good way of living. So you get the good teaching, and the bad teaching, the bad living, and the good living, right? That's the And, and it's so exactly that's what the words refer to. You can check me on this. Um, and saying, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I just love this passage. So to close, I'll just say, God has spoken. Okay? And we as humans are accountable. All of us. From the earliest days, he has granted um, his word to his people. He's, he's made his will known from Sinai. Made his will known, written. This is what I want. He continued to reveal to us who he uh, is and, and, and what he's like, and and he continues continues in the present tense to reveal to us still what is, um, what is uh, he like and what does he want from us. So the good news today, that if you want to hear the word of God, you can just use your literacy and your affordable Bible that you got, um, and read it out loud to yourself or others. Well done. So, but through his word, we can know what he is like, and through his word, we can know what he expects of us. Um, so through reading his word and, and learning what he is like, we can be filled in awe. If we read his word, if we read his word sympathetically, we can be filled with the awe, filled with awe the character of God that is revealed through this. So let us, God, let us believe that this word contains everything we need to know to know how to live and to know what we are meant to believe. So, thanks, I'll just, I'll just close in prayer for us here. Father, I thank you for, for your word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that it's not a guessing game, Lord. You tell us what you're like. You tell us who you are. You tell us you're the only God. We don't have to choose between different gods. We don't have to be confused between different books and philosophies. We have your Bible, Lord. Thank you for your word. We, we praise you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that when we read it, Lord, we will really uh, help us, Lord, to, to find you in the word, Lord, and that we would meet with you. Uh, when we read the word and experience your reality. Help us, Lord, to read your word sympathetically, Lord, that when we see what you did with others, Lord, that we would make that our own and and see what that uh, reveals to us about you, Father. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name.